Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the grounded pixie dice set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking about Eberron. Today we're joined by Gabe and Jeff of Interparty Conflict. How's it going, guys? Pretty hey. good. Good. How are we doing? Oh, I'm doing well. Um, so, where might folks know you two from? Yeah, so we have a tabletop gaming advice podcast, like you said, called Interparty Conflict. It is a question and answer based podcast. So people uh, send us questions about how to, uh, you know, how to adjudicate a particular rule or how to come up with a good, you know, character backstory or how to, you know, just things about how to run a game and how to play in a game and have the best time possible. And so we, we answer those in our main segment. We also every episode talk about a magic item that uh, homebrew magic item that's been sent in and or a character death story that has been submitted. Very so cool. It's a, it's a fun podcast. We've been doing it for about about three years now. Nice. That's uh, actually around the time. Uh, that's We're coming up on our third anniversary, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. And uh, for people who are listening to our show who haven't yet listened to Interparty Conflict, a good episode to start with is a recent one that me and Jesse guessed it on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, episode 153, I believe. Nice. All right. So uh, let's let's get right into the topic. What is Eberron? And if you can yeah. start with just like, yeah, the beginner's introduction, because all I know is it's the setting where the dark elf dro drow with the daggers, scythes, I don't know, and a panther that a lot of stories have been written about. Nope. Nope. Okay, cool. <laughs> Never mind. Say, I'm, I'm not familiar with that. Nope, that is a uh, fact for it's, it's the setting that, that Warforged are from. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. 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 Yeah. So, um... So Eberron is, it's a D&D campaign setting that uh, came out about a little over maybe 15, maybe about 15 years ago. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> has it been that long? It has. So uh, it is meant to be very pulpy, you know, kind of like Indiana Jonesy, kind of heisty, that sort of stuff, as far as like how, how they intend for you to play in this world. But the world itself is fairly high magic um, for reasons we'll probably get to later in the episode. But the... The important thing about the setting is that it takes place just after a hundred year long war. Two years ago, this hundred year long war ended and it ended primarily because two years before that, one of the countries involved in the war blew up uh, some sort of uh, magical accident, you know, in involved with uh, some of the weapons that people were building to fight in this war blew up an entire country and caused everybody else to say, Oh, Hold on a minute. Maybe we can work this out amongst ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's let's uh, let's take a step back here, please. Right. And so the, the setting kind of takes place in the aftermath of this war. There are tons of refugees from this country that done blowed up, and uh, you know, so there's people trying to to find a place to live. I mentioned Warforged, which we'll probably talk about later, but they are a literal race of beings created to fight in the war. 
who now have no war to fight in. So that we're talking about refugees, we're talking about warforged who are trying to find a place in the world. Um, and there are still evil people out there. There's still mm. good people out there. There's lots and lots of different mysteries to be found and so yeah. on. Yeah. And Even just, though the war is over, there's still plenty of tension. Not, definitely. You know, you know, not not including all the refugees and such. Yeah. So it's it's just it's a it's a great setting. There's lots of cool stuff, lots of of plot hooks, lots of character hooks. I love it. I, I have to say, I don't know exactly why. But being able to say that a country done blowed up gives me this weird joy in the center of my DM heart. It's just like yeah. <laughs> a country blew up. Well, it's yes. so. Oh no! I have a bit of familiarity with Eberron. Um, our our friend Milo runs a Eberron game that I'm playing in, and like it's um, playing in it as opposed to hearing about it makes it really very uh, apparent to me that it's meant to be like a post-World War II kind of thing. Like, the yeah. accident is akin to the atomic bomb going up, but instead, you yes. know, vaporizing an entire country or mm -hmm. doing other things to it, depending on what your DM decides actually is the effect there. Um, but uh, let's let's talk about Warforged, because you mentioned them, and I think there's a lot of really interesting things you can do about, like, with them, like, finding their place in a society writ large after this war ended yeah and i'm really mm -hmm. curious because i think warforged i think is the only thing that i'm familiar with from eberron it's it's actually the only thing a lot of people are familiar with from eberron which yeah because they're the best with. well because they're the best gabe <laughs> so jeff yeah you you tell us about warforged <laughs> so yeah War, warforged are one of the uh, one of the playable races in eberron there's a few more we can touch on later but warforged are living constructs mm -hmm. and uh this uh this campaign setting came out in uh what was it was it during third edition or 3.5? It was 3.5. 3.5. Like 2006 or something. Yeah. So there were there were a lot of rules concerning uh, Warforged, like back in that edition, like because they were part constructs, like healing spells only worked half effectively mm -hmm. on, on them. So like, you know, it, you, you couldn't heal them as easily, but there were like repair type spells that could kind of make up for it. Um, so yeah, a lot of it, uh, a lot of Warforged roles in the campaign setting, like like they were built for war, mm -hmm. uh, war's over. So now they're trying to find their place in the world, but the world isn't exactly excited about it because one, you have these walking weapons going around town trying to find their place and everyone feels threatened by them mm -hmm. or they just, you know, they just plain don't like them because they think they're, you know, they don't, you know, they, some of them are basically treated as slaves and servants they, and stuff they, like that. They Turk or gerbs. They... <laughs> The war firm is probably part of it. Sure. <laughs> I, I have a quick question. Do you know if anybody has done an audio drama or a short podcast series where it's a group of players playing Warforged reenacting Seven Samurai? Oh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, do, I feel like we were, were we watching. Uh, we're, we're, so we had saw, there. Sorry, this is a tangent. Um, That's fine. There was, I know there was an anime that was Seven right. Samurai where one of them was a robot. Yeah, right. Samurai Seven. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember, I remember we were. I think we watched that around around the time we were playing Eberron. I, I think so. I don't think I ever made the connection that it was like Warforged, though. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, sorry, train of thought. Um, oh, so oh yeah, so yeah, these. Um, I don't know a ton about like the more deeper lore of, of Warforged. I know they have some, there's something to do with like 
giants or something that, like that. Yeah. So there's there's another continent that has all these old giant ruins, like you know, thousands of years ago, there was this race of giants that lived in in Zendric, which is like the jungles to the south. And there is like reason to believe that Warforged are uh have something to do with an ancient creation of the giants. Like there are ancient giant artifacts that the Warforged are attuned to, like they mm. can like fit into their bodies and such. So yeah, the people that made the Warforged, it's assumed that they got some of the technology to do so yeah. from these ancient giant race or whatever. So right. there's some, so that that's a nice little plot hook there. Like, mm -hmm. you know, your adventuring party can end up in the jungles of uh, Zendrick. Zendrick and like, you know, find something that connects to one of the Warforged players. Um, so yeah, there's um, the, so the people that made the Warforged are, are part of this family. Yep. Uh, the House Caneth. House Caneth. There's the, all these different houses in Eberron that are like, you know, they're, they're I, I guess it's the equivalent of royalty. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Different noble families. Right. Yeah, different noble families. Each with a different, like, uh, business, a mercantile specialty. Right. You know, one of them was the, they're basically crafters and creators mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So they made the Warforge for the war. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank if you want to continue. Well, yeah, yeah really, I really quickly... I don't know why, but my brain is making all these weird connections to media things that I've seen. And just when you're talking okay. about Warforged and them fitting into these ancient giant technology ruined things, I'm thinking of, I think it's like a Jinji Ito comic, the horror comic about the holes in the cliff walls. <laughs> spiral. Oh, yeah. oh the, good God. The Enigma this... <laughs> Amigara fault. Oh, yeah. my brain tried to get rid of that. Oh, <laughs> just a Warforged being like, this is my hole. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, jeez. I just had to bring that up, didn't you? <laughs> so, uh. you, you know what's kind of interesting on about Eberron? Um, because it is a more modern fantasy setting, I think it mm -hmm. it is one of the ones you can see that references a lot of other pop cultures clearly influenced it in a very different way than, like, Forbidden Realms is. Yeah. Where it's not just classic fantasy. It is, like, film noir and, like, Indiana Jones, but also yeah. probably some weird shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking about when we were talking about these Warforged and them being uh, creations that were created for war and now they don't have a war. It, it, to me, it feels like you could do such a rich film noir style story about like these things that just or um, like almost a, almost a horror story about just like them not knowing their place in the world, this existential dread of like, what is my purpose now that my purpose is gone? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like the thing is, like, they were only really created in the, like the last like decade or two of the war, something like that. Yeah. So the oldest one is at, at most maybe like, I don't know, what, 15 years or something like that. Yeah. And I always like how um, in in D&D, &D, there's like when if you're if you're trying to randomly determine your character's age, mm -hmm. you're just like rolling on the chart to see how old your character is, at least in third edition, this was the case. If you are, say, a wizard you would tend to be older because, you know, you had to start training to be a wizard much younger, you know, like at, at, when you reach the age of maturity, you'd spend X number of years training to be a wizard, learning and so on and so on. Whereas a fighter or a barbarian right out the gate, I just picked up a weapon and I got real angry and I started using it <laughs> with Warforged. It's the opposite because the first Warforged were just made to pick up a weapon and use it. So the oldest ones are going to be fighters and barbarians. And then the younger ones, it wasn't till the end of the war that they're like, all right, we got to get some spells out there. We got to get some Warforged that can cast spells that can use, you know, divine magic and such. So like those types of characters are going to be younger than the ones that have been 
fighters or barbarians or whatever for yeah. even longer. Yeah, Warforge 2.0 can cast spells. So sure. like that's the newer model. Sure. And, so like I, I love that idea, but it's just the idea that the newer ones are the ones that can cast spells. And we mentioned yeah. like I don't know what it is about this setting that suddenly has my brain fizzling. It's a great setting. But the idea of like, yeah, these these young Warforged who have a connection to the divine and have them having to figure out what that means oh it's so juicy i love it yeah yeah, yeah it is there, there was something where like when they were it's like it's like there was like a um it was like a court case or something where they were trying to determine whether or not warforged are living <laughs> beings sure and it was like well do they like I, I think it came down to can they be affected by the raised dead spell oh sure and they, and they can and they can so like they like it was sort of like like this was evidence in a case that was to, to, to determine like if if warforged are going to have the same rights as everybody else yeah it's like oh like well the raised dead spell we've been under the assumption that this has to do with the soul of mm -hmm, somebody's mm -hmm. soul so it's like okay therefore they have souls therefore they are living beings therefore they should have the rights as, as everybody else do yeah and like i don't know i think that that like that's I find that really cool and interesting that's, where they're really like, oh, cool, yeah, they had this assumption about the raised dead spell in this in this setting. And that was used as evidence to, <laughs> you know, to, you know, fight for the freedom of Warforged after sure. the war. There um, are there's so many interesting things you can do with Warforged because like the implications of them are really staggering because it's like, OK, well, if Warforged were created to fight the war. Does that mean that like the wars are all proxy wars with the just the Warforge fighting in place of others? Uh, does it mean that like there are whole sections of of certain countries where like it is dangerous to be a Warforge because you are the ones who you know came through here and raised these villages and were response were the people who you know killed hundreds thousands of people who were not ready to fight you? Um, yeah. But also just the the and and like the existential angst of like well if warforged are living beings and have all these rights now can people make them anymore can house Kanath make them anymore is it now illegal is there a future for the race after however many that are around eventually you know are destroyed or you know become deactivated or whatever there's so many questions you can ask as like a central point for a game it's yeah it's funny though because like it's the kind of thing where as a dm like these are really exciting things for us but like as a player i could see myself just being like i want to be the robot person <laughs> like, yeah, sure, like sure. you know as a, as a player coming in they might not be thinking about all these things and like it would be the kind of thing that you have to you would definitely have to go over in your session zero of like hey <laughs> if you want to play a warforged i have a lot of cool ideas but if you also just want to be the robot man that's cool too <laughs> yeah it definitely started off that way with me is like, sure, oh, my sure. God, I get to be a robot. That's amazing. But as you know, as I learn more and more about them, at least in, in the setting of Eberron, like mm -hmm. they're, it's super fun. Yeah. Um, for a very long time, I kind of would get mad at Jeff whenever he would bring up Warforged <laughs> because I have I have a love hate relationship with Warforged. Uh, what I mean by that is that I love Warforged. I think that in Eberron, they are amazing mm -hmm. i think that the the struggle of being a warforged in eberron is one of the my favorite things to think about you know people trying to take advantage of them because they think oh this is just a dumb machine you've got the ones that are trying to make a life for themselves you got we didn't even mention the lord of blades is a warforged that has decided we served humans for our entire existence we think humans should serve us or maybe we just want to live by ourselves so like they he's gone and he started like a city of warforged in the country that blew up 
because it's dangerous for non constructs to live there. And so he's trying to make his own thing possibly rise up and take down, you know, kill all humans and so on. I love Warforged in Eberron. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. The problem though is when <laughs> Wizards of the Coast releases the stats for Warforged just independent of anything else. Yeah. And then all these people who have never played Eberron, they're like, ooh, a robot. Beep boop. Let's all be robots this campaign. And I feel like you're doing such a disservice to what this character is. I feel like really <laughs> I don't think Warforged work outside of Eberron. They can, sure. You can have fun with them. But like, I think that they belong in Eberron. Jeff's like ducking behind the mic right now. I <laughs> if I feel like they don't belong outside of Eberron. But every campaign, Jeff is like, hey, Gabe, can I, can I play Warforged? Can I play Warforged? And I'm like, no, Jeff, because Warforged don't exist in this world. And he's like, he's like, but Gabe, can please can I be a Warforged? To my credit, if I can bring that up, Almost every time he has asked to be a Warforged, I've eventually said yes. Right. But I demand that we come up with a good reason why you are the only Warforged. I mean, and I agree that that should be done. Like, yes. I don't want to just be the robot. You yeah. know, I want there to be the reason why there is a Warforged in this adventure or whatever, which, sure. you know, like, yeah, put some work on you. And I understand it. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. But, yeah. you know, but they're so cool. They are real. And, and I agree. But they don't belong <laughs> everywhere. I, I can definitely commiserate with that because like the first uh, campaign that I ran, um, I it's something that I learned after doing this podcast for a while. I did the not great thing, which is built an entire world with like 2000 years of history and a, a pantheon. And I just spent all of this time like, oh, this is a cool idea and figured out how to slot that into the history. And oh, this is a cool idea. And because of that, there is in this in that campaign setting, there isn't really room for for Warforged unless I it's something as like it's a campaign set sometime in the near future of where my previous campaign was of like they are a brand new thing two nations mm-hmm. have gone to war and one of them has figured out how to make war for okay now they're a thing and and i think yeah it can be i can see how they would be annoying as a dm for for you to have <laughs> like figured out like okay i want to run a campaign that has that maybe deals with these themes and this is the if it's a homebrew like here's the setting and or if it's not a homebrew and it's not eberron this is the setting and then for a player to come and be like Hey, I want to be a Warforged or any other race that's not part of the core books that you were thinking of yeah. when you were putting this thing together. I can see that, like, yeah, it'd be my first reaction as well. Would be like, no, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't fit. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sean, and I have to ask you because I know you're familiar with Warforged, but have you seen what one looks like in like the aesthetic they have? Because yes, yes, just because part of their aesthetic, I I find with the whole like I want to play a robot is that they don't. They don't look like robots. Like they, they are sort of, but they're there's a bit more organic to them. Q Sean frantically yeah. googling. Yeah. yeah. Basically they're, there's, there's, they're made of steel. There's some wood parts of them stone, that are right? oh, sorry. Sorry, they're made of steel, wooden stone is kind of the aesthetic they have going on. Nope. Yeah, and like various fluids and such. So like there are parts of them that mm. are analogs to organic creatures. This like I'm looking at a picture right now, and the way that I would describe it to somebody is if a fantasy setting, if a wizard wanted to build an, a robot using like the easier to magic materials of wood and stone with maybe sure. a little bit of metal thrown in, this is what they'd come up with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like in, in Eberron, there's also the, uh, there's a class called Artificer. Yeah. Which are the more like sciencey, like crafty magic users. Yeah. 
and they're the basically the ones who are sort of the like that they're they're very closely connected to warforged and how they were made mm-hmm. um and i think the way that they flavored the like subclasses in in the at least the fifth edition uh eberron is uh like there is there's the alchemist there is a uh you know there's a battlesmith with hash with, which has to do with like um makes these little like uh iron defenders i think they're called they're basically like little construct yeah uh, like a, the one they have pictured i think in the book is like a dog or something there is one of those yeah um and then uh there's the artillerist which is basically all about like firepower and stuff like that and like there yeah. was a fourth subclass that they were that they kind of they cut out which was all the, called the archivist and it, they were kind of almost about making like an ai but in like D terms oh. There, it was it was like to have some sort of like artificial intelligence. So like they were like these four pieces of what kind of made up a Warforged. So if you had four of them together, it's like that's how they came up with the Warforged. At right. First. So somebody took care of the mind. Somebody somebody took care of the body. Somebody mm. you know had the uh like the 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 alchemist was sort of like the the fluids that make up like sort of the quote unquote bloodstream of a Warforged. Sure. Like, sure. I want to say in fourth edition, there was some feat you could take as a Warforge that if you took damage, you would like damage the attacker because a bit of your alchemy blood kind of spewed out and yeah. did damage to them. Like you'd have like alchemist fire or blood in or uh, um, acid inside your body, basically, mm-hmm. you know, in some way. Oh, man. Yeah. The artillerist where they ask you, hey, do you want to play Torbjorn from Overwatch? Here, play <laughs> exactly. Torbjorn from exactly Overwatch. That. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You, yeah. You make turrets and yeah. Yep. And it's you very cast mending to, to, da- to heal any damage they take. Yep. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's a lot of fun. I like our, you know, Artificer, I think, is a really great addition to any campaign, Gabe. That, I mean, I'll agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's got different different uh, implications. Yeah. It's the fact that like, oh, I yeah, we've just we built some warforged in this world that doesn't have warforged. Well, it raises so, some questions. Well, I understand because the warforged like their existence is so directly tied to this war that happened in this one yeah. place. But like, war is a part of every campaign setting. Yeah, you know, and, I think, and so I would... if I wanted to play a turtle, you know, would yeah. you would you have as much problem? fitting in a turtle than you would uh, you know a warforged no because i feel like a a turtle has less uh less deliberate creation really just there's creatures really quick turtle what is a big turtle man (laughs) it's a a turtle man okay cool just wanted to make sure that that's what it was (laughs) yeah Yeah, Um, it's a playable race that is a ninja turtle basically so they're just okay i'm sorry like how warforged are just robots turtles are just ninja turtles (laughs) sure i apologize that was unfair of me to say so although it's odd because they only live to 50 years old what's up with that (laughs) the bigger you get the shorter your lifespan Um, sure so i would argue that forbidden realms already has a bunch of things that are essentially warforged like nimble rights play a big part of uh uh water deep dragon height dragon heist and they are essentially like pared down only like dexy warforged sure um and like you know constructs have long been a thing and awakened spells like awakening things that were not previously sentient has long been a thing and i think warforged mm-hmm. are a really handy shorthand for like oh i want to play like a you know a construct that has been brought to life well yeah here here is a warforged you are made by a wizard i think <laughs> i think for me it, as a dm like thinking about the campaigns that I've run, if a player came to me and wanted to play a Warforged 
Um, my immediate re- reaction would be like, I can't fit them into the history of where you guys are going to be playing. But yeah. I think the idea of like, in a world that's got magic, or like in my setting, it's it's a world that's running out of magic. There's going to be people, there's going to be wizards off in the mountains or in their weird strongholds that have been tinkering and experimenting. And and then they created a warforged and then they died for reasons unknown. And now there is one warforged loose in the world. But I think a question that's been kind of brewing in my head and this kind of ties in with some of the other races as well is like in eberron we you're talking about how the warforged are these things that were built to to prosecute this war and now there are countries or huge swaths of country land that it is dangerous to go as a as a warforged because everybody is going to hate you and mm-hmm. i'm just kind of curious because like people have talked before about like you know playing D where like you know Sometimes it's not great to be a half orc because people don't like half orcs. Like that kind of thing, where like as a DM, we might want to play around with like, you know, using it as an allegory for various real world things. But sure. that can be tricky, especially if the players aren't on board. Is that something that you guys have ever experimented with? Not really. I mean, I feel like most of the time when we play, uh, when we have played Eberron, it's it's been in like there's in, in for the most part, the same kinds of parts of Eberron like there's a big city that is in Eberron that like you know most of our games I would say has taken place in this city mm. and so we've never really delved into that yeah because it's the, the the city we're to refer to is like it's a Sharn city of towers and it's mm-hmm. basically like like the New York City big yeah. melting pot sort of thing so there's like you know hundreds hundreds of different cultures that are all kind of living together there's different there's like there's like a hierarchy and stuff like yeah, that. yeah. but so um, we did have we did have one moment in, we just started playing a game. Like I, we, we haven't really had a, a consistent, like uh, a regular game in quite something in years, I would say, but we did just start a game a couple weeks ago and it is Eberron because this book came out and I got it for Christmas and I was so excited to be part of Eberron again. And we're running a game. And of course, Jeff is playing a Warforge. Yep. And we had a moment where uh, we were curious about, so there was, they met a Warforge in the game that had lost an arm because a lot of Warforged, you know, lost limbs in the war and such. And you can get replacements, like especially in the Eberron book, there are stats for a magic item that is a replacement limb that anybody can use, not just Warforged, also, you know, humans and elves and whatever. And so they met this Warforged that was missing an arm. And then they later saved a bunch of Warforged and found the corpse of that original Warforged's friend. And one of the players had asked, do we want to take the arm of this Warforged and give it to the living friend? And Jeff actually had the opportunity. I gave, I let him, he can decide how that is portrayed in this world. Like do, do Warforged like getting parts from another Warforged right. or do they not? And Jeff was able to think about it since he's the one that's so <laughs> devoted to Warforged. Sure. He could think about it and he could decide for the rest of us how does this world, how do the right. Warforged in this world view that? Right. At least in, in, in our playing of the, of yeah. the, of the campaign setting and like going away from the mindless robotness that is yeah, Warforged are seen as sometimes right. it's like, well, yeah, if you were, if you're a mindless robot, it's like, yeah, I'm going to, of course I'm going to take this piece and just, I will upgrade me. my right. physical form, need you repairs, know. you right. know, but like, I was like, no, they like, they, they maybe see like repairs as something that, you know, they're, uh, 
you know, the people that made them or made them go to war and stuff like that. Repairs is something that they want, that those people want done. It's like, mm -hmm. I want to repair this Warforge so it can fight for me still. Whereas like a, a Warforge that is no longer at war, like it doesn't have as much use for that arm anymore. So it doesn't really, it's like, it's it like the fact that it is without an arm is more unique and personal. It's like an act of defiance. Right. It's like, I don't need to get, I don't, I'm not working for somebody else, so I don't need right. to get repaired. Exactly. So they so they see the the, the idea of repairs to, as just a you know a reminder that they used to be servants, mm -hmm. and now they're like, you know what? No, now I'm my own person. Now I I will decide when and where I get repairs if I do. Yeah. So we haven't necessarily dealt with like issues of discrimination and such uh, as much because we've most of our games have taken place in a place where they are more accepted than others. But you know, I still like that we've had some some sort of issues that, you know, deeper issues that we get to delve into. So earlier on, you guys mentioned House Caneth. Uh, yes. And this, I think, that kind of brings us into the next bit we wanted to talk about, which is Dragon Marks. Because if I recall, yeah. House Caneth is one of the Dragon Mark houses, yeah? Yes, correct. So I, what are Dragon Marks? <laughs> so one of the one of the, the hallmarks of Eberron, um, I mentioned earlier that it's, it's very high magic, and ma not just that there is... Uh, you know, more spellcasters or whatever, but like magic is very commonplace, sort of to the point where like you could put pretty much anything steampunk in Eberron because what would be steam or whatever, whatever that kind of technology is being done by magic. And one of the ways that that comes about is in the history of this world, the creation myth that, you know, people follow is that the the world was created by these three dragons. Um, one was Sybaris, that eventually died and became the sky. One was Eberron, which is the earth. And then the other is Kyber, which is like the, like hell or the, the, the underworld. And Eberron is like, has wrapped up Sybaris in its arms to keep it from escaping. And people that live in the world, in the world of Eberron, started developing these magical tattoos that came to be known as dragon marks because they're believed to be like a gift from one of those three dragons. And different bloodlines started getting different marks. So for example, there is a human, we mentioned House Caneth. House Caneth is a human bloodline that started developing this one particular mark that is called the Mark of Making. It's uh, a magical tattoo that gives them various magical abilities that let, make them really good at crafting things, like Jeff said. Um, there's a couple different human houses. There's the human house of, uh, human house of Adalis, which has the mark of handling. So they're really good at like, training and breeding animals. There's the uh, halfling house Galanda, which is the house of hospitality. So they're really good at, at uh, making food and creating lodging and, and helping people through, you know, through the, the wilderness and such. There's house Jurasco, which is the halfling house of healing. So they have healing powers and the dwarven house uh, with the mark of warding. So they're really good at protecting, like uh, creating like barriers and such. So because there are these, families that have these innate magical abilities. Not everybody in the family has one, but that family is well known for whatever that trade is. So as a result, everybody in that family has been trained in whatever trade, you know, uh, the house Denath is the house of house of the, the mark of the sentinel. So they're really good bodyguard. So if you need a bodyguard, you're going to hire someone from house Denath, whether they have a dragon mark or not, the ones with the dragon mark, you're probably going to pay more and so on. But because because these dragon marks have existed for, you know, centuries or whatever, um, it has shaped the economy of the world because there's this commonplace magic thing and you know that you get it from a specific type of person. So 
they are kind of their own entities. Like they are nobles. They are, maybe you could consider them royalty to an extent, like across the world, everybody knows House Caneth is who you go to to have something crafted. House uh, House Durasco is where you go if you need healing. And so that's kind of like, it's it's made the world more magic friendly because everyone is familiar with this. Everyone knows it's not, oh no, he's, they've got, they've got magic. That means that they were touched by the devil. No, it's like, no, no, they've, that's a business that's been here for 50 years. Mm. You go there, you pay the money and they do this, this service for you. Magic is no longer a mystical thing necessarily for a lot of people. It's literally just business. Mm. So house Caneth is responsible for making Warforged because they were the ones that they were making weapons for this war and, so on and so on. So something that, that I'm curious about then is, does that mean that every city has like, there's a representative of House Caneth there that you can go if you need to get something made? Or is it like, no, they're only in the bigger, more metropolitan areas. And if you're not in a city where there's a House Caneth representative and you need something made, well, you just got to hope that your local blacksmith or artificer can get the job done. Hopefully good enough. I would say probably a little of both. There probably is, uh, they probably do have people all over the place, but maybe your adventure takes place in a little village where, well, you can have the blacksmith make you something, or if you want it done really well, you can travel up to the city and, you know, have someone mm -hmm. make it for you there. So like, it's, it's not exclusive. You can be a, a blacksmith and not be part of house mm -hmm. Caneth, but you know, everybody knows like that's, they're the ones that are, more expensive, they're better, but you're paying for that premium. Yeah, I wonder if there's like blacksmiths that hold a grudge against House Canth because possibly, it's like they're yeah. taking all the business. Like, you know, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. You know, Are there sort of thing. any stories about forgeries? Possibly. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Well, so so when um the way that mechanically dragon marks work is they are a um they're a a racial variant, like a um a, a sub race. Yeah. Okay. So if you're playing a human, like They've got stats for instead of the human benefits, you gain these other benefits or or like if you're a halfling, instead of the sub race benefits, you gain these other things. And so you can take those. And then if you don't want to be one of those, you can take there's a feat you can take called aberrant dragon mark, which means you aren't one of the dragon mark houses necessarily. You don't have like the official dragon mark, but you have some sort of a dragon mark that. It has like abilities that some people are afraid of because like it's not quite this other thing. And basically it's just you you choose a, a couple spells, kind of like the magic initiate feat, but it has side effects when you use it. So some people might you might be able to pose as someone from House Caneth because yeah, I've I've got a mark. You can't get I won't let you get a good look at it, but yeah, I can sure I can cast mending once, you know, however often. Uh however, when you use it, sometimes people near you like get hurt or yeah. or whatever. So there are, there are ways to, you know, to do something like that, to, to, yeah, to kind of, to kind of fake your, yeah, to fake your way into that. All right. And yeah. and, and just to, to clarify something, the, the mark, the dragon mark, that's like an actual tattoo that uh, at your like coming of age ceremony, it's a tattoo yeah. that you get. Yeah. It develops on your body. And they've even said, uh, if it's for example, on your hand and then you lose that hand, it will manifest somewhere else on your body. Oh, okay. So it's Ooh, not something that. that like, it's not a tattoo artist. It's something that appears on your body. Right. So I, I guess birthmark is a better, a okay. better, but like it, it, it's, they're very intricate and so on. So they look more like tattoos than, uh, yeah. than birthmarks. Oh, I'm just I'm thinking of all sorts of cool things to do with that as well. Like there's, yeah. um, uh, I, 
thinking of the Dresden Files. Have you? Are you guys familiar with Dresden Files? I've heard of it. It sounds like totally my jam, but I've never actually read it. It's it's really really good. But one of the things um, that comes up in the series is the uh, the idea of a a bloodline spell because um, the thing is in in the Dresden Files universe, like if you want to do magic, you can either do like quick evocations of like here's a blast of fire or something like that, or the more mm-hmm. intricate like it's a thaumaturgy in that's what the word that uh, Jim Butcher uses, but it's basically the sure. idea of like uh, using like a voodoo doll with some hair of the person, and you can affect that person specifically even from the other side of the world and just thinking of like something in the eberron setting of like somebody targeting people via their dragon marks and it being Ooh, some yeah. kind of murder mm. mystery that, that would be awesome yeah, that would, <laughs> yeah um, like finding some sort of like backdoor code in the dragon mark yeah yeah i think before while we're still sort of talking about like magical because it's kind of a magitech setting in a way one of my yeah. favorite like little details is that they have lightning trains trains that are powered yes, by magical do. lightning <laughs> yeah it's just like which i think kind of lends to the pulpiness like you can have a train heist kind of thing mm-hmm. or, you know they in in this book they even have a a battle map for a train if you want to have a fight on a train nice <laughs> so so, uh, so I guess something else that I'm curious about with these with these marks and like how it affects the economy and the society, like, is it the kind of thing where, you know, there's like if a city has a ruling council, it's a good bet that most of them are going to be dragon marked? Uh, possibly, yeah. Okay. Yeah, or at least from the family. Yeah. But, uh, maybe maybe not someone with the mark, but from the family with yeah. the mark. Because something, well, and, and with regards to the economy, because this is something that I've always been kind of curious about especially in high magic settings where you know if if a couple of years of training can let you turn a rock into a cast iron pan and Mm -hmm. be able to sell that for you know one silver instead of the five silver that the blacksmith charges like what is like is there any exploration of like that kind of what magic does to a worldwide economy or is it kind of a little bit 10,000 foot view and not so much the 100 foot view of what it does to the economy. Yeah, that's a good question. I I don't think it necessarily like changes the cost of things, although I could definitely see a dungeon master making certain things less expensive because manufacturing is easier because, you know, healing is easier and such. Um, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, there's think... there's the example of um the uh the tokens of Featherfall. Okay. Like that I also well, I, I think what you're saying is that like there there are a lot of magic items that are extremely cheap. Like they have extremely low power magic items that you can get pretty easily. So like yeah. stuff that would be first or second level spells, you can just go to the general store and pick up like, <laughs> oh, I, I need to be able to get all my workers. You know, we're going to be, you know, working throughout the day and I want to make sure that they can work without needing to break. I'm going to go buy some of these magic tokens that gives them the strength of an ox and then I can just hand those out. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Um, And Jeff was saying like there's, because the, the biggest city, Sharn City of Towers, is like a vertical city rather than a horizontal city. So falling is a definite concern. So there are extremely inexpensive like tokens you can you can if you have it on your person and you fall more than 10 feet, it automatically casts feather fall on you and then becomes non-magical. Hmm. So stuff like that is, I guess, a natural result of there being more magic and uh and the the being a vertical city is also the result of just more magic in the world. I'm just thinking that one powerful wizard with some earthquake magic could do a lot of damage. Possibly. But then also, if there are a lot of people living there, all with magical abilities, they are probably doing things to prevent 
stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, possibly that could be that could be the uh the plot of a you know mid to high level adventure is somebody's about to do this. How do you stop them? Or it's in process. How do you stop it and mit- mit- mitigate damage? Yeah. Yeah. The I think that's it's one of the things that it feels like there's always this like tug of war in D and D of the 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 people who want it to be simulationist versus the people who kind of get that yeah it's like a lot of the time people are playing in high magic settings which means that mm-hmm. sometimes you just got to throw the rules out the window and go with the rule of cool yeah sometimes a yeah. wizard did it yeah that's all the answer you need <laughs> and that's all <laughs> right. the answer you're going right. to get so i think we were talking earlier about um you know we use the kind of the example of like construction like company or something like that and i think that actually yep. ties in a little bit sort of into the last thing you guys wanted to talk about which is patrons for your adventuring party which are essentially if i if i fully remember this from when i just briefly glanced through the the, the book is essentially backgrounds for your a back one singular background for your entire party kind of yeah i really wish they had they used the term patrons and I really wish they had used some other term, any other term except <laughs> patrons, which is already a thing when yeah. you're making a character. Right. Warlocks have patrons. <laughs> right, right. So you, I'm sure everybody has has heard of or played in a campaign where, oh, we're all part of the Adventurer's Guild. Yes. Or some you know, kind that, of mercenary outfit. Right. So so that's that's an example of a patron. Now, this, what I'm about to describe, I feel is so good and so fundamental, I cannot believe it was not in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Instead, you got to wait five years and then look for it in a campaign setting book. (laughs) This would make so much sense just being a thing that is part of every game. Yeah. Now, so they have a bunch of examples. I'll give you one example in particular, but um, the different types of patrons they've got, you know, you got an adventurer's guild, a crime syndicate, a noble house like the dragon marked houses, an espionage agency, head of state, an immortal being, an inquisitive agency, a military force, newspaper, religious order, and university are the ones that they have. And in the book, they've got an ex- like a detailed example for every one of those. Now, the, let's say you want your party to, uh, the party is going to be working for a crime syndicate, a thieves guild or something like that. The example they give in the book is for a uh, a crime family, the, the Boromar clan, which is like a family of halflings. So just to give you an example so that you know there's something in universe that you can you can latch onto. They talk about what the the crime syndicates, the Bormar clans goals are. They talk about what you have to do to become a member. They talk about who your allies are. They give you a list of you know other organizations that might be allies of your patron. They say who your enemies are. You know if it's a crime family, well probably the local uh, local police are going to be one of your enemies. Maybe a, a local a um. A rival gang is probably going to be another one of your enemies. They give you benefits for being a part of that uh, of that crime syndicate. They get tell you what your assignments are going to be, so like what sort of quests they're going to send you on. They it says that uh, oh you'll have access to contraband and like mechanically what that means. You might have access to a fence. You have immunity to certain crimes because oh you're part of this powerful crime family, so you don't have to worry about you know picking a pocket or whatever. Um, and then it talks about when you're building a group, because, you know, you might, okay, we got to have a fighter, you got to have a cleric, got to have a rogue, a wizard. That's like the mechanical side of it. But story-wise, if you're going to be making a party that is working for this crime syndicate, they tell you what type of roles you might want to have. And that can be any class. Bruiser is one of them. You could be a fighter that's a bruiser. That makes sense. Maybe you're a cleric that's a bruiser. Maybe you're a rogue that's a bruiser. And then it talks about what 
a bruiser's role in the party is. And then burglar is another one. So you got a bruiser. You got to have a burglar too. While this guy's keeping, you know, the the people occupied, the, the burglars sneaking over there and, you know, stealing whatever it is they need. You also got a mastermind and a safe cracker and a talker. So like those are the five roles that they mention would probably be be a part of this adventuring party if they're working for this crime syndicate. And then they talk about what types of crime you might do, how your infamy works, you know, like people know you work for the Boromar clan. So, you know, you've got these benefits and, uh, and talks about rivals and who your contact is within the, within the, the, the family. And they have one of these for every one of those types of types of patrons. And that's so good. I, it, it gives you everything you need to know in order to make a party that is working for this organization. If you want to be a part of an adventurer's guild, it's got all of those different things for the adventurer's guild. Yeah. Some of the most difficult part about starting a campaign as a DM is getting the party together. Yeah. And this is a way to just kind of like, yeah, you guys are part of this family. Yeah. This is how you know each other. Here's your contact. They're the one that brings you all together. I, I love the idea that one of them that you mentioned is working for a newspaper that to yes. me is just fantastic. But like also something that you uh, that I started thinking about when you're talking about like working as uh, for a crime family and mm-hmm. the thought that in the world of D&D, you could have a crime family who has somebody who is super loyal to them, who's a cleric who knows healing magic. The mm-hmm. implications of that to me are terrifying yeah because imagine because that allows you like the crime family to do infinite torture oh well the the best part is that like that also fits into a bunch of the lore that already exists because yeah there are evil gods they have clerics and not all of them are big megalomaniacs who are trying to destroy the world some of them are just doing petty vengeful things well i'm just imagining that more terrifying than some 10 foot tall dude in black spiky armor is some mousy little healing cleric who's going to strap you into a chair until he gets what he wants to know yeah yeah it's just ah it's terrifying (laughs) (laughs) okay but yeah like uh, the idea of having all of these kind of ready-made um kind of Party, boxes party background party like, backgrounds would have yeah. been a better a better term for it but like patron. well the idea that like yeah you have a ready-made not just a like a box to put your party in that lets you really quickly draw lines between all of the party members and how how they came together how they know each other and like i can see how that would really 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 help with a session zero especially for newer players Mm -hmm. but also the idea of it gives you as the gm a couple of really interesting levers into how you motivate or steer this this party around because like for example, going back to the idea of playing as a group of adventurers who work for a newspaper, like yeah. the idea that like you have caught on to some big thing going down in the underworld or like something going on in politics and it's this big thing, like there's a, some interesting levers there with like maybe your boss is telling you, hey, you need to back off of this story. Like interesting levers there as to like how you add the sense of danger that is to me sometimes missing from games of D&D because... I feel that sometimes from like stories that I've read and stuff like that, that after, after a certain point, like players just become kind of used to, yeah, we're going to go and fight some big monsters, but we're going to come out on top. But giving these tools to a GM that lets them say like, Hey, 
there's these people that you care about that or you know your boss or somebody has these levers into like hey maybe don't go do this dangerous thing because it's not just you that could get hurt yeah. i think that's just yeah. a, mm, chef's a kiss. social and personal threat <laughs> as opposed to just a the, the big thing with all the teeth kind of threat yeah it's just absolutely ah chef's kiss <laughs> <laughs> i just know like for for someone who okay I, i've been a dungeon master for a long time but there's a lot of stuff that i'm real bad at and coming up with a lot of details for something that i've just made up is not my strong point if yeah, same. if i'm going to be starting out a game and the players are like okay yeah yeah we want to be a part of a guild or something like that and then i'm like uh uh you know this person and they're like okay cool uh what about this other stuff? You know, what access do we have for this thing? And I'm like, uh, uh, I roll some dice superfluously. Oh, you've got, uh, sure. You have a little, you, you, you have this much gold you can spend on whatever. And like, I'm, I'm scrambling to figure out like, well, what sort of stuff would it, would it, would an adventurer's guild have? What do the, what do they need? And if this was in the dungeon master's guide, which Jeff and I have talked in the past about how I never use the dungeon master's guide because most of the stuff in there is not important to me. Yep. This is important to me. If there was a thing I could flip open to and it's like, hey, if you're starting off in an adventurer's guild, like many groups do, here's what you do. Here's the things. Here's the boxes you need to check off. Here's what they have access to. Maybe a chart you can roll on or something. If it's there, just saying these are the stuff that you need to refer to. These are the things you need to refer to. So useful. So good. And it, it would make me feel like I'm more prepared. It would make me look better because everybody else thinks I'm prepared when really, no, I'm just reading off a sheet. Like, honestly, it should be in a player's hand. Like it should, it, I, I'm, sure. A, I'm sure that this didn't like this idea didn't occur to the, the main people designing the game when they first started making fifth ed, but like, yeah, yeah, it seems like such a, a basic straightforward thing that would inform both a character and a campaign and mm -hmm. like all those connections it seems like it should have been something in the very first book that everybody had access to absolutely yeah because i think it's it's one of the things that i think it's the thing i see talked about most often when a new dm is asking like hey what are some things i need to know and the thing that comes up most often is just like the idea of the session zero and getting your party the players ready to go and having all of these tools in a book that they might not even know about like yeah put it if not in the player's handbook have a couple pages in the dm's guide as to like hey here's some stuff that you can use to like help your party coalesce as a party yeah so guys yeah. i think we're we're at the point where we're coming to the end of the episode um sure. and you it, it sounds like you have a a long history with the everon setting so if you're able to you know cast that time spell Go back to when you first started running in Eberron and give yourself a piece of advice, or I guess in Jeff's case, playing in Eberron. What's a piece of advice you'd give yourself? Um, do you want to go first? Okay. <laughs> um, I would probably say, relax. <laughs> It'll be okay. Well, two things. Relax and also prepare and then relax. Because I don't relax, I panic. And then because I'm panicking, I don't prepare. <laughs> so if I could just tell myself, well, just, it'll be fine. Everybody will have a good time. Just write some stuff out, <laughs> read a book, copy some stuff down. It'll be awesome. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, play more Warforged. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, play play more Warforged, or or you know, maybe may read up more on 
on the Warforged. So it's more than just ooh robot, because yeah. that's definitely my my first instinct was then was <laughs> ooh robot. But, you know, over time, I've definitely learned there's way more to them. So, yeah. you know, there's so much potential. Digging more into the lore is is a good start. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, where, no problem. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Where can folks find you on the Internet? Yeah, um, you can find Interparty Conflict on, you know, any podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, all that. Also, uh, we do have a, a blog at interpartyconflict.com. No punctuation, just all one word. Cool. And Twitter, or Facebook, anything like that? Oh, yeah. Uh, we're on Twitter. Or we're, on, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash interpartyconflict, I think. Our Twitter handle is inpartyconflict because there weren't enough characters. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, thank you again so much for coming on. This has been a blast. And thank you for letting us come on your show, which was oh, also no a blast. No, yeah. a, lot, a lot of fun. Um, cool. I think that's it. Yeah. Hey, cool. awesome. th thanks, thank everyone, for listening and have a great day. Bye. Bye. Peace. Bye. Thank you for listening to DMs of Vancouver. We acknowledge that the land we live, work, and play on is the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. In recognition of that fact, we ask that you please support Raven, a charity that helps support Indigenous people throughout Canada. You can find them at raventrust.com. We are a part of the Cave Goblin Network. To check out other shows on the network, please visit cavegoblins.com. You can support the show and the network by becoming a patron at patreon.com cavegoblins. You can also support the show by leaving us a review on iTunes or talking about the show. You can find us on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver, at Jesse Boros, and at Sean P. Hagen. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. See more of her work at HaleyBoros.com. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. Find his work at Acompatech.com. Revolver is the new weekly show on the Cave Goblin Network, exclusive to Patreon backers of just $1 or more. Each series lasts for a maximum of 12 episodes, then switches hosts and premises. Series 2 is Tabletop Tales, hosted by me, Jesse Boros where I interview people about memorable stories from their tabletop gaming sessions. Hear the adventures at patreon.com slash cavegoblins. Hey there, lovely listeners. I'm Talia Murdoch, and I'm here to tell you about my show, Everything Economics. Every week, I talk about the world around you, specific social and economic issues, and dive into how fantasy realms would work in real life. That's Everything Economics on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.